How's everybody doing this morning? Have you ever had a week where everything that could go wrong does go wrong? That was my week this week, man. Family, business, ministry stuff. The MCU lost Spider-Man. Oh, man. I'm, it's been a rough week for me. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm kidding, kind of. Um, I'm kidding, but I'm not kidding, you know. Uh, if you would, turn your Bibles to uh, Mark chapter 12. Um, I get the beautiful privilege to talk to you about your hard-earned money this morning and what God has to say about this. Um, can I first say, I, I think Josiah took this approach as well, and I want to uh, echo that, is that there's anyone in this room who probably struggles, and I hope to make sense of this. If you would like, just if you want to know, know a little bit, we're going to stay in Mark chapter 12, then we're going to skip over to Luke chapter 16. Um, and so if you want to put a thumb over in that one area and just be ready, um, I tend to move fast and not linear whatsoever. Um, so if you are a very linear thinker, I, you're going to hate me. Uh, let's go. Uh, verse 13. This is some of the Pharisees. They, are, uh, uh, they sent to them some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians. Note that. It's the Pharisees and the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. This is the question I kind of want to start from this morning. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, knowing what was in their heart, he said to them, why put me to the, de to the test? Bring me a denarius, 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 and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, I want you to notice the wording, whose likeness in whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. My wife, who is not here in the congregation with us this morning, she's upstairs. If she were an animal, you don't know where this is going. She'd probably be a chipmunk. Because she's, she's brown, cute, and petite. You know what I mean? Like they're... <laughs> and she does this thing with money. She doesn't trust me with money for some reason. If you can't tell by my skinny jeans, uh, denim shirt, and brand name glasses. I mean, I, I'm a bit of a spender. Just a little bit. And I'll never forget, we, uh, we, we redid our house last year, and we had a few bills. We, we put new carpet in and new flooring in, and, and we, uh, we were kind of just kind of trying to finance stuff as we could, like zero interest sort of a thing. And we kind of were trying to plan ahead. And I thought, okay, we got this. You know, we're just going to take it out of checking and all that. And then all of a sudden, time, came time for the bill. The bill came. I said, hey, honey, we got to, you know, pay this. It's whatever amount of money. And, and she goes, oh, okay. So she goes, and she goes into what will soon be our daughter's room. And she opens up this drawer. And in this drawer, there's an envelope. And in this envelope, there are numbers. First one I notice is the bill that is owed. And above this number, there is like six different numbers written out of different amounts leading up to this number. I am so confused and so baffled by what is happening before my eyes. I'm thinking, my wife is planning on leaving me. That was my first thought. What I did not know is my wife is one of the most frugal people on the planet. She, will, she takes money 
by the scent and breaks it down. I think it was she was having a conversation with Tiffany one time over finances. And Tiffany, who's a very wise person with money, was actually baffled by the amount of, by the amount of intricacy and detail my wife had with money. And now what had happened in this envelope was my wife, unbeknownst to me, was picking up, was every time someone gave us money or sometimes we, we would provide uh, 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 meals for our, our KC, she would take that money and instead of putting it back, she would place it in this envelope so that by the time it came to pay this bill, we were ready to go. Now for some of you, that makes a lot of sense. For people like me, you're like, I did not know that sort of self-discipline existed on the earth. And I say all that to say there's this one time where I'm just getting raked over the coals over finances in our house. My wife comes up to me, real, real smug. She goes, hey, honey, uh, the budget's a little off. I'm going to need you to watch your spending. I, being a man of God, say to her, hey, I know I haven't spent any money. So why don't you go look at the budget and get back to me? <laughs> yep, yep. Rough day at our house. <laughs> she goes, oh, I will. Didn't hear for, for three hours. There's a th reason why I didn't hear for three hours. Because after one hour of looking, she realized, wow, Nick has grown. He hasn't spent a dime this month. And she comes back to me and she, with her, you know, head held low, very humbled, and says, it was me. I was the one who spent all the money this, this month. Do you know what that does to my self-esteem? <laughs> Do you know what that does? I, I walked around my house with my chin a little bit higher that day because Nick Tapia, for the first time, was not the financial problem in our household. Yes. But all the other thousand... 678 times it was me. But I say all that to say, we're in a moment of this portion of scripture where, and you see various times Jesus is being raked over the coals about how to handle finances. And there's these two groups of people that are brought before him. It's the Pharisees and the Herodians. What is interesting about this group of people is there is no two group of people who hate each other more. It is, like, it, it is like bringing two races that absolutely hate each other in every way, shape, or form and bringing them together. It actually says in Luke chapter 20, verse 20, they pretended to be sincere, hoping to catch Jesus in a trap. And I want to pause right here because it's very easy over the next three to four weeks as we talk about finances to let it gloss over and think we have it down packed. I give or I don't give or I give what God has told me to do. I tithe, whatever your metric is. And I want to ask the question, what is our purpose for being here this morning? What is our purpose for being in this room and hearing a series on finances and God? Is it possible that there are some things we simply do not know? Is it possible that when it comes to tithing and giving and how to steward finances well, that there are some things that God is simply more aware of than we are? 
Because if we're not careful, myself included, we can come to Jesus with our questions and with our, with our, our, our ideas and not be sincere in what we want to see be the outcome. Does that make sense? So I'm going to ask you with me this morning, as a pastor of this church, to go with me with what God's word says about finances. And so they're going through this, and it all comes down to this one question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus stops and he says, okay, bring me a denarius. Now, for those of you that don't know, it's a coin. And on one side of this coin, there is the image. We should have it up on there in case I mess this up. On one side of there is the image of Tiberius, emperor of Rome, with the inscription, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. You have to understand in Rome at this time, if you were Caesar, you were seen as divine. You were seen as what they would call a son of God. So much so that the Romans had this, 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 this line that they would say, under no other name on heaven and earth must we be saved. For those of you who are scholarly among us will know that is scripture. And so then on the other side is the image of the mother of Tiberias sitting on the throne in priestly robes with the inscription, I don't want to even attempt to say that, but it translates as highest priest. What is happening on this image that is, we can draw back to the Bible is that in every way, shape, or form, this coin, what is put in the imagery on this coin is to attempt to exalt Caesar and the empire of Rome of, of Lord over our lives. That's essentially what's happening. So when Jesus is pulling this thing apart, he's making a, a compare and contrast of the very claims that are happening that government and taxes are Lord over your life, these inscriptions, these things that are these these things that you hold on to. They are what rule your life. And Jesus says, whose likeness does it have? There's a really interesting thing about that word likeness. Now, for those of you who, again, who know the Bible, that might ring some, that might ring some, 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 some ringy-dingies in your head. <laughs> I'm usually very articulate. Um, whose likeness is this made? That word likeness means to be a renewed image pertaining to Christ. For those of you that, don't, that know, when we talk about being made in a likeness and we think about ourselves, there is a command, there is a declaration that is made in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. I will make man in our likeness. I find that very interesting. And so then he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God's what is God's. I want to ask the question this morning, what's God's? When it comes to your money, when it comes to your bank account, because the Jewish, the Jewish way of thinking at this point was when they asked this question, was they thought taxes went to Rome, which they absolutely resented having to pay, but then there was the tithe, and there was a strong belief that that's God, but everything else is mine. And if I'm honest with myself, and I think if we all are, we all played this game of, well, we're no longer under the law, so the tithe is absolutely irrelevant. 
It's, and here's the thing. There's a lot of debate. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not 100% sure where I stand on it yet. But here's what I do know. Just because you're no longer under the law and you're under grace doesn't mean you're going to go murder someone. Right? Jesus actually says, if you even think angrily about a person, you've already committed sin in your heart. So being under grace does not lower kingdom living, but it actually raises the standard to which you are to live. So when Jesus says, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but you must give to God what is God's, he's making them look back and say, okay, if I'm honest with myself, and we have scripture to back it up. You have the book of Acts. You have the Psalms that says, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. What does that mean? Everything that is on this earth, the very breath you are breathing is borrowed from the king of the universe. The book of Acts says, he gives all things to us. The book of Romans says, all things were made for him and by him and through him. So when we talk about giving to what's God's, what isn't his? What isn't given to me by his grace? And I, and I titled this message, Worship and Giving, because here's the thing. We can treat our tithe, we can treat our giving a lot like our taxes, and then I'm more focused on what leaves me than I'm focused on what I've been blessed with. I focus more on what I feel like I have earned by the work of my hands, more than what I have truly just simply stewarded by his grace. Worship and giving is simply, the, if you want my main point this morning, it's worship and giving is not about what you earn in your life, but it is what you steward by his grace. Jesus kind of dissects this, and let's go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 16. And he pulls this apart quite a bit. And he points out something I find absolutely fascinating. We'll start in verse 10. And we all, most of us know this verse probably relatively well. Verse 10 says, the one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. And when I started at, I think, I think that's when I started at the church, I was making like 100 bucks a week. The big bucks. <laughs> And I remember giving my 10 bucks every week. I remember like, man, when I, when I make enough to live on my own finally and like take care of somebody, it's going to be so awesome to give that sort of amount of money. Can I be honest and say that the more money I make, it is actually harder to give? Why? Again, because I'm more fixated on what leaves my hand rather than what remains. That's a heart issue. Here's the truth. None of us like paying taxes in this room, especially those of us who are self-employed or own a business. That's a painful month. That's a painful check to write. But here's the truth. Whatever it is you're giving away in taxes is usually congruent to what you've made that year. And we get so focused on what I've earned and who I am and who's robbing from me, we forget to stop and pause and be like, but look at what God has blessed me with. What does worship look like in giving with your taxes? It looks like thanking him that you are you possibly giving away more money than some people in this room make in a year. What does it look like to, 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 to worship him in, in tithing? This is a topic of conversation amongst our group was a lot of us, we're in the modern age, we have automatic giving. 
comes out as soon as our paycheck comes in. And there was one thing I noticed amongst everybody was like, it's awesome that I'm giving to the church, I'm being faithful, I'm stewarding, but there's something missing and that I never think about it. And I'm not saying stop doing that, but what I'm saying is, have you ever stopped to maybe prayerfully consider what God wants to accomplish in what you give away? Have you ever stopped to think that maybe your money is more closely associated to the spiritual realm around you than you're willing to give credit for? Does that make sense? Verse, uh, verse 11. If then you have not been faithful in the righteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? In verse 11, that, that, that term unrighteous wealth actually translates to unrighteous mammon. The word mammon is actually a Syrian word used for the God of riches. So he says, if then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will then entrust to you true riches? Now remember, we're, 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 we have a compare and contrast going on of an earthly empire versus a, king, versus a heavenly empire. And then he makes the, he, in this verse, he makes the statement, if you will not be able to be trusted with what is a translation of the God of riches, who will trust to you true wealth? This God of riches that we are, is translated as mammon is something that I think we all struggle with. What Jesus is essentially saying is, what is good and evil is not the dollars in your pocket. It's so funny, as I hear people quote all the time, money is the root of all evil. It's so quoted so wrong. It's actually the love of money that is the, the root of all evil. And so what Jesus is saying in this moment is, what, it's not the dollars in your pocket that just determine what's good and evil, but it is the decisions you make. And here's what I want to say with that. I can give to a missionary or buy lunch for my wife and it still be all about me. Does that make sense? But I can give to my wife, I can give to a cause, I can give to a missionary, I can give to so many things. But when I do it from a place of a worshipful heart of God made this go to your glory, that's the place he wants you to be. That's, and he actually goes on, he goes down to verse 12. If you have not, if, and if you have not been faithful in what is another's, who will give you what is your own? No servant, can, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve, serve God in money. That word loyal, so remember, he's contrasting the God, the, uh, a mammon, a spiritual, what we could even say, and I don't mean to get overly spiritual on this, but a spiritual entity that essentially will control your thinking if you don't. And he's talking about our God, the God who has graced us with everything. And he says, you will be loyal to one and you will have hatred for another. That word loyal means to hold on to with disdain for another. First off, Jesus doesn't give us many options. He gives us two options. Does that make sense? And I, what I want to pull apart here is you will hold on to one and you will have disdain for the other. And it got me thinking so in my brain. This is a tough word. Maybe we don't feel the discomfort and frustration when money's talked about in church 
because the pastor is greedy, but maybe it's because you have an idol in your life. I didn't get any hallelujahs on that one. <laughs> maybe you're uncomfortable every time giving happens in the church is because it controls you more than you'd like to believe. Maybe every time we talk about finances or bills in the church, you get anxiety because you have held onto this, 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 what we could call nothing less than a spiritual entity that has actually controlled your way of thinking and thinking that the money you hold is more important than the image you bear as a child of God. Does that make sense? What's his? You. Every single part of you. Every single cent in your bank account. And I'm not here to tell you to give it abandonedly. There's, there's such a thing as foolish giving. But I'm here to tell you that there is a place of a being, being a worshiper of him, that there's nothing on my life that isn't accessible to him. I'll never forget, Kim and I got married. And we decided, we went to, we bank at Chase, and, and we decided to merge our bank accounts. And I'll never forget the feelings of vulnerability that day. <laughs> we transferred everything from my account to hers, and then immediately after that, I Yeah. I'll just, I'll, here's the thing. This is the most embarrassing thing. I don't know why. I'm embarrassed admitting this. My greatest vice is online shopping. It is. I, when I get stressed in life, I either go to Best Buy, Banana Republic, or I go online, and I just shop. And then I buy stuff, and then I end up returning half of it because I didn't really need it, and I was just under a moment of stress. I didn't actually need anything. Anyway, I went to Best Buy right after we merged our accounts, and I'll never forget the feeling. There was an iPad sitting in front of me, and I was like, I want this. I, I can't help myself. And there was a voice inside of me. It wasn't the Holy Spirit. It was Kim's voice. <laughs> and it said, you're going to have to answer to someone when this is on the bank statement. And I thought, oh no, what have I done? And I didn't buy it. How many of you know, when I only give, or when I only act in character when it's commanded of me, it becomes about transactions, not about passion. What I would hate for you to do is to walk away here and say, okay, man, I don't have to give anymore. Because the simple truth of the matter is, if you are simply commanded to give and that's the only way that will get, you have placed yourself under a law. But when you understand the grace of God has so abundantly blessed you, that you have more than enough to give, whether it's to a church, whether it's to a brother or sister in need, whether it's to your very family, whether it's to buy someone lunch this afternoon, when you catch a glimpse of what remains in who you are rather than what continuously leaves you, it will change your life forever. I love there's a song that they said that his hand, something about his hands being open. We don't give to a God that lacks. A lot of times we can look at giving and be like, okay, I'm giving back to God's bank account. As if he has limits. That's not. We give because we reflect the image of him. And he has so graciously given abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. We'll close with this. He says, if I can't trust you with unrighteous wealth, why would I give you true riches, essentially? And I want to sort of unpack true riches. 
And I began to kind of look at that word, and that word essentially means anything that is of value in the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. True riches is why we're here in this room right now. True riches is why I can call you guys family. Why we have the vernacular of brother, sister, mother, father inside of the church. True riches, if you look at the kingdom of heaven, if you were to dissect the book of Revelation, there's an emphasis on simply two things. That is Jesus and his glory and the love and transparency among his people. Jesus and people. Those two things are the utmost value in the kingdom of heaven. I heard someone say, with natural riches, I can buy you a steak dinner. But with true riches, I can call you all family. And uh, I had a friend in Reading. I won't say his name because his dad, is a very, his dad was a very high-profile televangelist. We still talk, and he had literally probably millions of dollars at one point. But at one point, he lost it all. And my friend, who was his son, had a situation where he was deciding whether he was going to continue a school with us, but he had also been given an opportunity to go full-time at his place of employment. But that meant not going to school anymore. And so he had what he would be making two, three, four times as much as he was going to be making being a part-time and going to school. And he was wavering. Now, I'll never forget, his dad came into town to talk to him, and he said something in front of me. As I say this statement, I, I, I don't mean to make little of anyone's financial situation, so hear me out. His dad said this, and it's in my brain, and it's never left. Don't you ever do anything for money. It is a far more available than the friendships and the family you've created in this place. Here's the truth. If you want more money, you can go get a part-time job at Starbucks. You can go get a part-time job at McDonald's. You can go do whatever. You can go, you can, you can, go, you can make more money if that's really your end goal. But the very things you, we all attempt to buy to cover up insecurity, pain, anxiety, fulfillment are in this room. And so he's saying, if I can't trust you with what is simple as money, how will you ever inherit the true relationship and beauty and stewardship of what is the body of Christ that I've tried to give you? Does that make sense? Worship team, will you come up? Let me be the first say, first to say, I've seen a life where people allow something as silly as money get in the way of the relationships that matter most. I have lost literal family because money became more important Don't ever be deceived that it's just simply my money and I get to do what I want with it. But prayerfully consider who he is and what he's given you. The very breath you're breathing right now is not of your own gifting. 
You were not the one who formed yourself in your mother's womb. You were not the one who picked what you do in life. You were not the one who made every door open for you. But there was a gracious, beautiful, loving God curating every single part of your life. And the very least we can do is open ourselves up in such a way to ask him, what do you have to say about what I give and what I don't give? Would you stand up with me this morning? You see in the Old Testament a lot, you see Joseph, you see David, you see Abraham. They are given these extravagant amounts of wealth. And it's a reflection of what God was attempting to do to give an outward manifestation of his beauty in an attempt to change the inward heart. Does that make sense? It was exterior to attempt to affect what was happening in here. But there's something new that has happened in us, church. It is the heart that tastes the bounty of heaven. It is the heart that reflects the change in your life. So the very worst thing we could do is walk away and hear a a message and not have our heart changed. So I want to ask if we could just close your eyes, maybe lift a hand to him. Let's just ask. I just want to ask, myself included, Father, help us make our hearts soft towards you and what you're doing in our lives. Father, help us to be humble and not pretend to be sincere about what you want us to do in the place of worship and giving, in the place of finances in our spiritual life. Help us not to be so deceived that we hold on to what is a false security of dollars and cents, but we, what we, as we forsake what is an unlimited grace and beauty in the kingdom of God that is blood bought on our behalf. Father God, we thank you that we sit in a place like this and we sit amongst what is truly family and a body in which you created us for. Father, give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear. There is nothing else on planet earth that is more valuable than this. Father, help us to see my money and what I do with it is not what I earn, but is me simply steward what you have given me by your grace. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. I love you, Rock Church. I hope you have a beautiful Sunday. Hope all that made sense, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to our podcast and this week's message. Again, if you'd like to find out more about our church and intending a live service, you can find us online at www.rockchurchqc.com as well as on Facebook at Rock Church of the Quad Cities and on YouTube. Just search Rock Church QC and you'll be able to access our past sermons. And when you subscribe, you'll be notified when we go live for our weekly services. Until next time, have a great day and God bless.